Tapes from New Jersey. It's the SNL Nerds, the show where two comics from New Jersey nerd out about Saturday Night Live. I'm your co-host, Darren Patterson. And I'm your co-host, John Trumbull. John Trumbull, how are you, sir? I'm doing okay. How are you doing, Darren? I'm all right. I'm all right. I wish it could be under uh, better circumstances because um, this episode is a bit of a special episode because uh, yeah. we lost we lost one of the great last week, um, the untimely, unexpected passing of uh, Norm Macdonald. Uh, yeah, the- he, he, he passed away on Tuesday and uh, everybody found out that he'd been fighting cancer for nine years which was just not generally known so it was it was a real shock yeah yeah it was like uh almost like a chadwick bozeman situation because like it was the same thing like he like when chadwick passed away it was a total shockeroo to everybody because it was like oh i didn't even know he was sick this came out of nowhere yeah Uh, it's a it's a big old bag of bummers but uh we're here to celebrate the memory and the life of Norm Macdonald with, you know, our thoughts about him and his work on SNL. And, of course, we're going to talk about his uh, his starring role in the movie uh, Dirty Work. Uh, yeah. Yeah. But to help us with that, we have some guests here in the studio with us. Uh, yeah, we've got uh, our super producer, Frank Hablawi, who uh, graciously agreed to join us. Hi, Frank. Hi. I actually really just insisted uh, under threat of me editing this terribly, and I'll be like, I'm just going to ruin it. So let me talk about dirty work. Yeah, yeah. Uh, thank you, thank you for having me. Yeah, he's yeah. he's, he's strong armed his way into this. Mm-hmm. Yeah, ha- happy to have you. And we also have uh, our friend, uh, comic Ken Krantz, who has uh, been a previous guest on the show. Welcome, Ken. Hey, what's going on, guys? Thanks for having me. Yeah, so thanks for joining us. Uh, wish it could be under better circumstances, but uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah. So, I mean, I don't know. Let's, let's get into it. So, um, I mean, Norm, he was on the show SNL from uh, 93 to 1998. Um, I mean, just left behind like a whole legacy. Um, I don't know. Where should we get into with this? Should we talk about like maybe our favorite bits he's done, you know, what he's meant to us? I think we can talk about our our favorite Norm bits or or favorite Norm moments or sketches. Uh, I mean, I think it's really impressive. Like when Lord revamped the show in 95, Norm was one of the people that he kept. Like he was, he was one of the few carryovers from the old cast to that largely new cast with Will Ferrell and everybody. Yeah, that's right. He he was a carryover because I guess you know Lauren saw the magic in him. Um, <laughs> and uh, it's one of those things like where I I think I mean I do love Norm and I think he's a great writer. Oh, by the way, we you know, should also mention like he actually when he got accepted to. Um, be on SNL. He was actually a writer on Roseanne, and he quit that to join SNL. And mm-hmm. his, I don't, his sense of humor. It's, it's definitely not for everybody, but like the people that love it really love it because like he was like one of those guys where, like, um, especially on Weekend Update, where he would like tell these great jokes, but they seem to be sort of comics, comics joke because like a lot of people just kind of stared at him and was just like, I don't quite get what he's doing here. But yeah. like the people that really loved his stuff really loved it yeah yeah i think it's safe to say he's an acquired taste like i mean frank ken how did you guys discover norm mcdonald what what led to your love of the guy uh for me it was um uh weekend update that was i'm 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 so much of like a joke guy that i don't even remember like when I think of SNL, I don't think about all the great sketches. I always think about the great weekend update jokes. Uh-huh. And for me, Norm was the was easily the best that ever did it. And it was 
I think it was just because of how little he cared what <laughs> what people <laughs> thought of the jokes. Yeah, yeah. The, the the audience's reaction just seemed beside the point to him. <laughs> he just wanted to get the jokes out there. Frank, what about you? Uh, yeah, so what Darren said about him being an acquired taste, it was exactly my taste. He's one of those comics that um, more than... I mean, I, every comic has, like, delivery, their, their own particular um, pacing and the way they frame a joke and what have you, but it was super apparent with Norm MacDonald. The mm -hmm. way he told a joke that was almost as if it was for him. Uh, and you just got to laugh almost at, at him delivering it and the awkward reaction it would sometimes garner from the audience. So Weekend Update was a perfect example for it because it would you could hear like the rows that laughed and the rows that just awkwardly, oh, God, another OJ joke. And <laughs> <laughs> it was, yeah, so it's just absolutely amazing. As far as sketches were concerned, I could think of one he was in. I just a uh, Burt Reynolds. That's the only thing I could think of. He uh, he was in a fair amount of sketches, but he he never made any bones about the fact that he didn't particularly care about sketches. He just cared about update. Yeah. Um and, and yeah, he I hadn't realized like how much how hard he and how long he hit the OJ thing. I watched a, a video on YouTube this week of just OJ jokes from Weekend Update, and it was 35 minutes. And it probably wasn't all the jokes that he did. <laughs> yeah. So that's like that's like two full Weekend Update segments worth of jokes about OJ. And they all just boil down to the same thing of like, yeah, he's a murderer. <laughs> <laughs> he, he went hard after OJ. I mean, we'll get into that later about like, you know, yeah. you know him and uh, Don Olmeyer and all that jazz. But yeah, like um, as far as his jokes, like I that really kind of hooked it in for me. There's one joke he did on Weekend Up that I still think about. I don't know why it, it tickles me so, but it really does. It's like um, he talks about uh, like the top 100 songs on the Billboard, and he said, oh, yeah. at number one, it's better than Ezra. Number two, Ezra. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, and I saw, like the band Better Than Ezra actually uh, noted that on their Twitter account this week, <laughs> you know, just like they were good sports about that. Yeah, I mean, that's like almost a dad joke, but I don't know, like something about the way he delivers it still, like to this day, still makes me chuckle. Just it's exactly like somebody who is good at telling dad jokes, telling yeah. dad jokes. Right. Yeah. 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 It's right on the, it's funny, but oh, well, I don't want to laugh at this. But but, but he, he had like some really genuinely clever jokes too. It wasn't all just, you know, dad jokes or yeah, like, no, like humor. You were good at it. He was good at it, and yeah, yeah it, that. And I think that's why so many comics loved him more than like his general appeal. I, I, mm -hmm. I guess his general appeal was arguable, but comics, all of them, seemed to love him. Uh, Wait, Ken, were you saying something? Yeah, no, I was just going to add they they were dad jokes that just took very undad like twists and turns. They were like dad punchlines with some of the longest most bizarre setups yeah you've ever heard and then when you find out it's just a dad joke punchline and it's like you fall for it every time like no matter how many times like the moth joke or the turtle joke like no matter how many times he does the same thing i i still fell for it every time yeah yeah but and like something i i kind of admire about him as a comic, like, well, one, you know, like that commitment to do jokes that aren't for everybody. I mean, just like, I guess, playing to the back row. I think, I think that's pretty exceptional. 
And I also loved that he would never really back down. He would never back down. He would never apologize. I remember on Weekend Update, he was uh, making a joke about Michael Jackson because this was when the whole Michael Jackson uh, abused kids story was first breaking. And he made some joke. And I don't even remember what the joke about Michael Jackson was. And the audience sort of like, I think, half laughed, half groaned. And he just went, what? You know he's a homosexual pedophile, right? <laughs> he, so he wasn't even not even backing off. He was doubling down on it, and just like you know, you're not going to laugh at this. Okay, well, screw you. I'm going to go harder, and that's pretty amazing. Yeah, he was one of those guys that just kind of always went for it. Like another thing I think of when I think of him behind the weekend update, I always think like that running gag he had, where sometimes he would tell the joke, and the punchline would be Frank Stallone. Yeah, Frank Stallone. Yeah, yeah. It, was, it was like it was like something where he would just bring up the name Frank Stallone, and he would take like a really long pause, like longer than he should, and the audience would kind of half get it and kind of not half get it, but like it was like one of those jokes that was just for him, and then mm-hmm. like you know on another episode when he when he was doing his uh his his jokes he, he would be like you guessed it Frank Stallone. Yeah. It's like, why do you keep mentioning Frank Stallone? That, that was one of his go-to punchlines. He, he also loved, uh, Germans loved David Hasselhoff. And, you know, he'd always put up the same photo every time. So it, 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 his weekend update got funnier the more you watched it, I think, because he had so many recurring bets and callbacks. There were a, it was a lot of it was an odd subgenre of cringe humor. Like, yeah. you, you would l- watch him... And the fact that he didn't tell a joke that was like funny, mm-hmm. flat, flat out, it wasn't like it wasn't obviously funny, but he would just stare at the camera and you would start to laugh because it was so awkward. And actually, a lot of this, I'm not going to get ahead of the game, but a lot, this whole movie, Dirty Work, was a lot of it was the joke was on the movie itself. The fact mm-hmm. you're sitting there watching this ridiculous film with this ridiculous premise and this almost cartoony level of violence. And it, it, it's all, it was very like awkward, but he was reveling in the fact that it made you awkward because these were just jokes. Why were yeah. you taking it seriously? He'd probably hate the fact that we were talking about him like this. Yeah, uh, he, he did play everything with like a sense of irony. Um, yeah. He he did have some sketches on SNL that I really liked. I mean, his his Bob Dole impression I thought was really strong because that was really in his wheelhouse. Um, just he played like Bob Dole is kind of half crazy, just like I'm Bob Dole. And I, I think like a standout there was when they had Bob Dole on the Real World, and so it was Bob uh, Dole with just a bunch of MTV twenty somethings. Oh yeah, I remember. I forgot all about that. Yeah, I yeah. do remember that. Yeah, and and they they'd even do like all the conventions of the real world. I think at one point you you see like Bob Dole overhearing a, a conversation about him, and they they start playing REM's "Everybody Hurts," and you just see Bob one single tear go down his cheek. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, I mean, I will say that like um, I, I mean, I know he was best known for his impression of Bob Dole and his impression of uh, Burt Reynolds. Like those were the things that like kind of you know he was most well known for. But he also has some really other good impressions that I kind of wish he did more of during mm-hmm. his stint on SNL. Like um, if I still, I still to this day think of the sketch um, where he did an impression of David Letterman. That right. late I show. I only did that once. I, it was so good and so spot on. I'm saying this is somebody who was like a diehard David Letterman fan back in the day. And I would just watch it all the time. 
And like his impression of Letterman was like so spot on. He was kind of playing it straight, but like that, I guess that was the joke that it was like a really good Letterman impression. I really wish he did it more. I wish he did that. Mm -hmm. And his, um, his Quentin Tarantino impression was really good too. He only did that that one yeah. time. In I don't that, uh, his Quentin Tarantino impression, but I can I can see him doing a nice job with that. Yeah, it's like a pre-tape where if he plays like they do like a you know behind the making of Pulp Fiction or something like that, and like he's doing a Tar Tarantino impression, and it's pretty solid. Like guys, if you can find it on, on the interwebs, I highly recommend you check it out. I'm gonna have to look that one up. Uh, like I think probably my my all-time favorite sketch that he did of, of sketches. That he did on the show was when they did like the sort of West Side Story parody when uh, Robert Downey Jr. was hosting, and he's he's in like this 1950s style street gang, and everybody's like breaking into song, but Norm is like the one guy who's like, "Why are you breaking into song? Why are you having this choreographed <laughs> dances?" And and the line that always cracks me up, he's like, "Hey, hey, I got a song." Uh, you know, it's called when you were singing and dancing. I got stabbed to death by a Puerto Rican, <laughs> <laughs> and just and, and at the end when like the, the the rumble starts breaking out, like he's like, guys, come in, back me up, and the guys come in and they're doing like high kicks and stuff, and he's like, oh, this doesn't look good for me. <laughs> <laughs> oh no! It's basically just Norm Macdonald stuck in West Side Story, which and hilarity ensues. That, that's yeah. my, probably my favorite of his sketches. That was a good one. I also liked uh, his Larry King impression. Oh, yeah. Oh, his Larry King was great. Yeah, his Larry King was great. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I should have looked up the lines, but like it was like a thing where he would like say a line straight into the camera that would be like kind of a weird non sequitur. Yeah. Then he would just like look into another camera and say another weird non sequitur. Because it was, it was like Larry King's uh, newspaper column. I think it was in USA Today or something where it was just like, like random sentences of just odd thoughts that Larry King had, yeah, <laughs> and nothing to do with anything. It was just so yeah, yeah. It would be yeah, it was shit like uh, like oh, if you ask me, nothing beats soup and grilled cheese, right? <laughs> <laughs> it was it was that level of insane. Like, you got a column in a major newspaper, and then it would be like ten things like that. Well, that was that was basically his interview style too. He'd just say whatever went into his head. I was watching a clip of. Uh, Norm the other night where uh, there was somebody who had lost a child and he and and Larry King goes uh, Paul Newman says you never get over the death of a child and, and Norm was talking about like that's the only way you can relate to this person you can show empathy is you relate a story that Paul Newman said <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the salad dressing guy he's good yeah Ooh. he's got some pearls of wisdom uh, maybe I don't know if we'll ever cover it on your show, but uh, the Norm Macdonald has a show, uh, mm -hmm. talk show that was on Netflix for a couple of years, a few years or a few years back. Uh, he he loved poking holes at the interview styles on these programs, and, and his Twitter account was full of this too, like watching TV and commenting on old Hollywood or. Or the the weird kind of artifice we have in front of everything when we talk to celebrities. So I think that's why his like his impressions of Letterman and uh, and talk show hosts are always so on point because he's it's like it's he he got the inanity right. He got the stupidity of what we're doing really down packed. I really do think he was like a fan of TV. Yeah, no, oh, yeah, for sure, absolutely. He was he he enjoyed sort of seeing like the way 
you know, TV shows and stuff are structured and just kind of just breaking it down at, at their, you know, just making fun of the ridiculousness of it. Like, I remember, like, um, he also made fun of uh, when he did the roast, uh, like the Comedy Central roast, and, like, his yeah came up and did the roast. He was kind of making fun of roast because his... The, the Bob Saget roast where yes. he was almost actually doing bad jokes with... No, he, yeah. he, he, was, he got the jokes from a book of jokes to tell at like retirement parties. It was like a 19, what I read was that it was like a 1950s roast joke book. And he just went up and delivered all the, like he just read those jokes. Wow. That's awesome. Yeah. And it, it definitely sounded like it. And it, the, and you, if you watch the audience in the Bob Saget roast reacting, they're slowly it slowly dawns on them that they are they're the subject of the joke, right? The first few jokes kind of don't land, and people yeah. are like, you know, chittering, and they're like, "Oh, Norm isn't on his A game." And by the third joke, they're like, "Oh, this is definitely intentional." It takes like doing this to... two minutes for people to like catch on with what he's doing. Yeah, yeah, it's and great. and then they're loving it. Everybody's like totally on board, and all mm -hmm. the comics in particular are really loving it. Yeah, I remember watching that. It took me a minute. It was like, "What's he doing?" And then it's like, oh, he's making fun of this whole thing. Oh, I get okay. Yeah. It's a yeah. and, and it really stands out because he's doing like, you know, 1,000 greatest jokes <laughs> type of thing. I mean, it's really on that level. And on the Comedy Central roast in particular, everybody goes really blue. So, yeah. I mean, he, he told a punchline where it was like, the punchline was like literally this man is for the birds after he named a bunch of birds. <laughs> yeah. It's just like, it was so bad. You had to laugh. He had a, speaking of that talk show he had on Netflix, I was just watching the one where he interviewed Michael Keaton. Uh -huh. And at the, at the end he gave, he, he'd written out a bunch of jokes because Michael Keaton used to be a stand up, and yeah, he'd written yeah. out a bunch of jokes for Michael Keaton to read. And one of them I mean, it's fun. Like Michael Keaton read it, but I heard it in Norm's voice, which made me laugh so hard. And I can't stop thinking about it was um, I wonder who's buried in the grave of the guy that invented the old switcheroo. <laughs> <laughs> I read that somewhere this week. That's a great joke. And I could not stop laughing. That joke is perfect. Mm -hmm. Wow, that's pretty. I never heard that one. That's That's a damn good one. Yeah, yeah, that's that's a show definitely worth checking out on Netflix. Yeah, I'll, I'll have to. I ha I hadn't watched any of that show uh, before. You know, I mean, I like Norm Macdonald. He was just somebody I sort of sporadically followed. Um, you know, even even on Twitter, because like sometimes you'd get killer jokes. Sometimes you just get uh, baseball. <laughs> yeah, he go way hard on whatever sports event he was betting on. And, <laughs> So you but I think the joke that he was doing there was I might be wrong, but I heard somebody breaking it down that he would start the events like he would DVR them and start them late. Oh, really? And then, and then tweet everything out like it was in real time. <laughs> I don't even know if that's true. I just saw somebody said, but if that's true, that's hilarious. So even if you're if you're watching the game and you're keeping up with Norm's tweets, they're all half an hour behind. If, if he no did that, that went completely over my head since and I'm a sports person. So much of what he did, like, is joke deconstruction, but you feel like a douche calling it that, mm -hmm. and and he would not probably accept that either. But it yeah. really is. I mean, the for the birds joke, the the old switcheroo. Who talks like that? 
Yeah. Only yeah. he does in this like approximation of old time Hollywood, and it's great. Yeah, yeah. And and I think one of the most insightful things I, I saw was like, you know, the guy who would have a killer joke about Norm Macdonald dying would be Norm Macdonald. <laughs> and like I there was a clip of him on the Daily Show. This was in John Stewart was hosting, and he had jokes about uh the crocodile hunter dying literally 10 days after he had unexpectedly died. Yeah. I mean, John Stewart at one point is just I, like, don't make me laugh at this. <laughs> but wait, he's I, up as he's saying it. I just want to back up for one second. If you're the crocodile hunter, can you unexpectedly die? I, and we're, we're, <laughs> <laughs> were we not prepared for that point. every day of our lives? That's a good point. It's like a NASCAR race. Those cars are going to crash soon. Right. Yeah. That's uh, half the reason you're watching. You want to see that uh, that guy uh, take a chomp. <laughs> and it's the framing of the of the joke. It's um, what, what did he say? He said it like, no, no, it was sad at first. He, he was, it was something really, really mean. Like it was just, oh, this was very tragic at first when you first heard about it. I'm like, then you're suggesting that it's no longer tragic. And yeah, there yeah. you go. Yeah, it's so good. Such good stuff. Yeah. There I mean, was um like before before we get into the movie, there was a there was a thing that uh Sean O'Neill posted on Twitter and it was an excerpt from Norm Macdonald's book and he said like when I reviewed it I wrote that that these two and a half pages would make for a fine eulogy. And uh you know if if you guys are cool with it, I could I could read that. I have it up here. Uh yeah, go for it. Okay. Um so this is this is Norm writing in his book. Uh, I'm forgetting what was the name of his book. I don't have it up with me. Does anybody um, know of you? I got it. Just give me a, one second. Okay. Is it the one uh, based on real events or something? Yeah, that was it. That was it. So uh, this is uh, called the final chapter. Uh, he says, and I'm not going to try and do a Norm voice, um, but you know maybe some of his voice will still come through. He says. Uh, there's the way things are, and then the way things appear. And it is the way things appear, even when false, that is often the truest. If I am remembered, it will always be by the four years I spent at Saturday Night Live, and maybe even more than that, by the events surrounding my departure from that show. As long as SNL exists, then so do I. When people come to see me do stand-up, it is because somewhere in their memory I live on SNL, dressed as a young Burt Reynolds, insisting Alec Trebek... Uh, refer to me as Turd Ferguson, and then they come to see me, and I'm old and fat, and I don't mention SNL, and I do my answering machine joke, and they are happily disappointed. After the show, <laughs> they stand beside me and take pictures the way you would with a donkey at the side of the road. <laughs> they, tell, they tell me they are big fans, and they don't care what their girlfriends say. They understood me even though they know good and well that nobody else does. I'm dry, they say. The next time I come into their town, they don't show up. <laughs> wow. It, it can be difficult to define yourself by something that happened so long ago and is gone forever. It's like a fellow at the end of the bar telling no one in particular about the silver medal he won in high school track, the one he still wears around his neck. The only thing an old man can tell a young man is that it goes fast, real fast, and if you're not careful, it's too late. Of course, the young man will never understand this truth. But looking back now, I can see that my life since SNL has been a full sprint, trying with all my might to outrun the wolves of irrelevancy snapping at my heels. It has all been in vain, of course. They would—they caught and devoured me years ago, but not completely. Lauren would see to that. 
My foot would still make a vague imprint. Myself would still cast a faint shadow. And years later, I would write a book and not only write it, but be in it as well. I think a lot of people feel sorry for you if you were on SNL and you emerged from the show anything less than a superstar. They assume you must be better, but it is impossible for me to be better. I've been lucky. If I had to sum up my whole life, I guess those are the words I would choose all right. When I was a boy, I was sure I'd never make it past Moose Creek, Ontario, Canada. But I've been all over this world, except for Europe, Asia, Australia, Africa, and South America. <laughs> oh, and 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 Antarctica. That's a tough sentence to say. Um, but that's really splitting hairs. I mean, how many people have ever been to Antarctica? Uh, I never expected to be any more than a common laborer, and I would have been con would have considered myself lucky to have achieved that. But I was blessed with so much more. I'm a stand-up comedian and have been for over a quarter of a century. I perform thousands of hours from a small club in Ontario, in Ottawa, Ontario, all the way to a small club in Edmonton, Alberta. <laughs> Sometimes I get big laughs and, and think I'm the best stand-up in the whole world, and other times I bomb, and I think I'm not even in the top five. Before I was famous, I had a whole bunch of jobs where all I needed was boots. People would look right past me, or if they did look at me, it was with a mean look. But when I got famous, people would look at me and smile and wonder where they knew me from. If they flat out recognized me, they'd laugh and dance like they'd won a prize, and I'd just stand there and smile and feel warmth from their love. So the fame made the world, which is a real cold place, a little less cold. And as for my gambling, it's true. I've lost it all a few times, but that's because I always took the long shot and it never came in. But I still have some time before I cross that river. And if you're at the table and you're rolling them bones, then there's no money in playing it safe. You have to take all your chips and put them on double six and watch as every eye goes to you and then, and then to those red dice doing their wild dance in freezing time before finding the cruel green felt. I've been lucky. Wow. That's great. Yeah. Wow. I mean, that, that, that really struck me when I read that. And, you know, I'd, I'd never read his book before, so that was, that was my first time. Wow. reading it but that that was something else i thought well yeah. he um i just bought the book and i i just downloaded it and i just opened up the first page and the dedication it says to charles manson <laughs> and then in parentheses not that one <laughs> <laughs> oh. that's terrific Oh, oh that, my God! That was an that was an amazing eulogy. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and, and it's something because I'm assuming that was written sometime in the last nine years. So yeah, it, it I'm sure that it was written after his diagnosis, and right. you know, yes. it awful, but, yeah. when, when you think of all the appearances and specials and interviews he did while sick, knowing that he was sick, yeah, and still so dark, so many cancer jokes, yeah. It's pretty crazy. Yeah, he really yeah. kept his uh, he really kept it quiet. Like I, it's really pretty shocking. Um, so let's go from that to talking about Dirty Work. Yeah, Dirty uh, Work. Uh, this was this was a movie he did in 1998. Yes, uh, so. came out uh, June 12th. Uh, had a budget of 13 mil. Only made 10. So mm. it's a bit of a bummeroo. Uh, yeah. It, it was, uh, he did this like, it was released like, I think less than six months after he left SNL or was fired from SNL because he clashed with Don Olemeyer 
about all his OJ jokes. Right, because I believe like Don Olmeyer said he didn't get his humor. He didn't think he was funny. And plus, right. I think Don said he was like golfing buddies with OJ. So yes. he didn't like all the OJ jokes. Yeah, yeah, they were they were tight. Um, you know, what, you know what's super interesting about that to me, just real quick, is like you think that Lorne is the end all be all of Saturday Night Live, and it it's like it was like a reminder, like nope, Lorne is a boss. Yeah, yeah. Lauren, Lauren has a boss. Lauren has people he has to answer to too. Yeah, yeah. And, right. uh, and and apparently, uh, Olmeyer bore such a grudge that he didn't let uh, this movie be advertised on NBC. Uh, I heard that. Like eventually, he was overruled on that, but uh, they still wouldn't uh, advertise it on SNL. So that kind of I'm sure contributed to its lackluster performance. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, there was like a few other things too uh, that I guess led to it. Um, I guess like like for a while they were trying to make sort of Norm like the, like a leading man, sort of a a bankable person, but like that never really kind of took off, unfortunately. Um, it's just because yeah. he's like like we said, he's like an acquired taste. Uh, but yeah, so this film, Dirty Work, um, written by Norm and uh, two SNL writers, Fred Wolf and Frank Sebastiano, and mm -hmm. uh, directed by Bob Saget. That, yeah. Danny Tanner, Danny Tanner, yeah, yeah. Uh, and it was it was Bob Saget's first film, and uh, yeah, there there were buddies going back, I believe, from from the stand up world. Yeah, because like I mean, people kind of know Bob Saget as you know Mr. Full House and America's Funniest Videos, but don't 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 forget Bob Saget has a filthy sense of humor. He is a dirty, dirty comic. I mean, uh, Google Bob Saget aristocrats, and uh, <laughs> yeah, that'll that'll explode any perceptions you have of Danny Tanner or the America's Funniest Home Videos guy. Right, and uh, yeah, and so this movie was—I didn't know this until now—but this is based on a, a short story by Roald Dahl called uh, "Vengeance Is Mine Incorporated." That can't yeah. be real. Is that That's, true? It's it's true. That's oh. I didn't see anything in the credits about it, but it's it's on the trivia pages on Wikipedia and the IMDb. And I I read up on the short story, and other than like two guys starting a, a revenge business, it doesn't sound like it has much of anything in common. So I'm, I'm just like, why did you bother buying the rights to that story if you were going to make it that different? Yeah, I mean, Wikipedia wouldn't lie to me. They're saying it's there. <laughs> Wikipedia is always correct. I mean, if I've learned one thing doing this podcast, it's Wikipedia is never, ever, ever wrong. Uh, but yeah, it's Vengeance is Mine Incorporated. And it was it was uh, previously adapted in a 1980 episode of Tales of the Unexpected. So, <laughs> okay, interesting. So maybe we should uh, screen that too and just compare the two. This is going to be a roll doll deep dive for the rest of this episode. Yeah, um, no, we're just going to change the podcast over into a roll doll podcast. <laughs> yes. Uh, just as a little bit of a transition, one of the things I loved about this movie, I saw this in college. Uh -huh. I think we were like oh. theater hopping and I watched a bunch of movies in a row and this stood out because it was it was we thought it was hilarious. It was infinitely quotable. We loved the hell out of this movie, but uh about the short story it's kind of based on, it's sort of genius because the movie, and I just resaw it last night, is a bunch of vignettes tied together, right? It's, it's just a yeah, bunch of it's like a lot of short sketches, pretty much. A, lo a lot of short, ultra weird, violent, maybe gross. Uh, sketches tied together very loosely and uh, but the concept of it being like a revenge for hire business 
is sort of genius because you can make you could cobble together a movie from a bunch of different jobs you have. And mm-hmm. I love like vignette movies. I love like Amazon Women on the Moon and Kentucky yeah, Pride movie. One. Like these are these great old these kind of movies. They don't really make that much anymore, which are just a bunch of sketches that are loosely tied together. And this is a genius idea. It, it helped make the movie flow perfectly. And you could just throw in. They can they could have made it ten minutes longer or cut another 20 minutes out of it and it would have worked well maybe not cut 20 minutes out it was pretty short as is yeah now, now so, frank on on one thing i'm curious about you said you were movie hopping from theater to theater what other movies did you see that day i'm trying desperately i i'm thinking i think you know i could ask my old uh, a friend of mine who probably remembers but I'm, i think godzilla may have been one of them sure uh, uh, the feature. american godzilla movie uh and i can't think of anything else i'm gonna look to see what was in theaters at that time and i'll I'll well, come back and answer that. I know it was released opposite Godzilla, so yeah, that sounds yeah. Awesome. And like yeah. from what I from what I looked up, it also came out the same weekend as uh, "Can't Hardly Wait" and uh, Six Days, Seven Nights" with uh, Harrison Ford. Oh <laughs> well, so <laughs> those two probably were not on the list. Of <laughs> <laughs> you you weren't ready for that big Harrison Ford and Hayes romantic comedy? Not quite. Not quite. It has to grow on you. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, that's another question. That's a question I was going to ask at the top of this. Uh, did any of you? Did anybody else see this movie in the theaters when it came out? Uh, Ken, John, I did not. This was my first time watching the movie. I remember. I remember the ads for it, and uh, seeing the ads, and I was just like, "Yeah, I'm not. I'm not watching that." <laughs> <laughs> I didn't. I didn't see it in the theater. I just watched. I've seen it in bits and pieces a hundred times over the years. But the other day was the first time I sat down and watched it beginning to end. Oh, all right. What about you, Darren? Uh, same thing. I, did, I didn't see it in the theaters, but I did watch it on a video out of curiosity because, like, I, like, you know, a few of my friends were like, oh, no, 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 no. The ads don't do it justice. And I watched wow. it and I was like, oh, this is really, <laughs> this is, this is really something. It really, it, and it, it was good. Yeah, I remember enjoying it. Yeah, and I we still left enjoyed the it theater. when I watched it. We left the theater quoting this movie to each other, and it may have been a bigger group of people. I can't remember the details anymore. Can't remember my friends anymore, but I can remember the the movie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. and, and that's as it should be, I think. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And there were just so many weird Easter eggs. Seeing Chevy Chase show up in this movie was ridiculous. Don Rickles less ridiculous, but yeah. ridiculous. And then there were the people like who were like late nineties icons of the role they played in this movie trailer what's her name trailer howard as the girlfriend yeah Uh, she was uh, as the asshole yeah wait who who was who was the i don't know who that is the actress that played the girlfriend trailer howard she was she's probably best known she was like the second assistant on monk after they they wrote the first one i I never saw that yeah oh what is she also in h&i in the afternoon, so you can you can catch up on Monk pretty quickly. Yeah, I mean, Trailer Howard, she was like that. She has she has very like girl next door looks, and she was in like a lot of stuff in the late nineties. She was in uh, Two Guys, a Girl, and a Pizza Place. Yeah. She's in that Jim Carrey uh, movie, uh, Me, Myself, My uh, and Irene, right? Yeah, yeah. The one where he has multiple personalities, yeah. But like, it's always this sort of role that she's playing. Like, like one of those, I guess, character actor who just does a great job of this one role. Even Pops uh, was in Problem Child as Pops, effectively. Like, uh, Jack Warden, yeah, yeah, and Jack Warden. I'm kind of like Twelve Angry Men. 
<laughs> you you eat a certain like, role and then you got it for a while. Um, how many times do you think he screamed that at his agent during the filming? <laughs> I was in 12 Angry Men. At least once a week. <laughs> at least once a week. Yeah, I remember he was on, uh, wasn't he on Crazy Like a Fox? Do you, does anybody remember that show from the 80s? Oh no! He was, it was like a, 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 a father and son private detective thing, and that's literally all I remember about it. Well, that's a deep cut. No, I don't, yeah, I don't yeah. That. It was it was one of those million detective shows that ran on CBS, like Simon and Simon. Wow. Yeah, but, I mean, yeah, but yeah, but I mean, this movie had like a, a huge cast, a lot of uh, cameos, but you know, it underperformed. And uh, I remember, like, one of the reasons that might be, you know, it underperformed is because. Uh, it was originally written as a rated R movie, but mm -hmm. like the but the network made him change it to a PG thirteen. Actually, the studio. Oh, a little trip. The studio, right? I'm sorry. The studio made him change it to a PG thirteen. NBC has long reads. <laughs> yeah. 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 Not all like, no, you're making that a PG thirteen. Yeah, do no, not OJ. screw with OJ's money. And they were like, yeah. you don't even work here, Donald. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, of course, that would have made such a the movie would have been so much better R-rated. Oh, yeah. yeah. When, when you slap PG-13 on comedy, it just always takes the teeth out of it. it yeah. and the first thing in the, the goof section on the IMDb page for this movie, uh, it says, audiovisual unsynchronized. When Mitch and Sam leave jail and Mitch addresses his cellmates, his lips can clearly be seen to say, anal rape, but this is overdubbed with the words, the other thing. <laughs> So I'm not sure if that's true. I don't. It <laughs> I, be. Wanted I gotta, to be I gotta look at it. So I'm gonna make one argument as the the person who watched this in theaters that mm -hmm. I I have no problems with you know R-rated comedy obviously, but like the reason why I love this as PG-13. I saw this last night with my mother-in-law and my wife, mm -hmm. uh, and I was like, is this gonna be a movie that I'm gonna be like rolling my eyes this entire time? And it worked. It worked. Obviously, there's nothing. There's nothing really racy in this, mm -hmm. but there's something super cheap and funny about seeing the setups, but not actually seeing the the the, the horrible thing that's supposed to be happening in the background. Yeah, there, there was right. one sequence in particular where it's you just see Norm Macdonald and Artie Lang, his, his sidekick, just reacting to these horrible things that are going off screen. People literally narrating though. Is that a grenade? Is that a fire? Yeah, yeah. There's something like cheap about it. As a person, like mm -hmm. you know, we we do indie comedy here. We don't really we don't have the huge budgets to film something ridiculous. Seeing it goofy and played off camera was really funny. And and to talk about how Norm McDonald kind of had like anti comedy, where like the the punchline was the joke, just mm -hmm. the fact that he was saying it. The entire prison sequence that could have been a yeah. lot more raunchy and a lot more like r-rated but the fact that he's a like he was offended mildly yes. offended <laughs> ridiculous that yeah. was probably the only really funny prison rape joke i have ever heard yeah it, i i do agree with you that they they figured out a good way around it and yeah. I'm, I'm sure it was just budgetary but it it, that normally wouldn't work with most movies, but right. it does with this, and it gives it a charm. Yeah, like yeah. you see Norm pulling his pants up, and he's like, "I've got half a mind to tell the warden." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, a lot of growing up to do. A lot of growing up to do. Disappointed. 
yeah. yes he was like a little disappointed in their behavior he, he, he's not he's not really traumatized he's not angry he's just a little put out <laughs> yeah and it, there's something they they were like exactly again they worked with what the parameters they had and it made it funny so that's what i, I really appreciated Right. Uh, well, I mean, yeah, this movie was going to be an R-rated movie, but according to IMDb, uh, here's, here's a little trivia about it. So, Artie Lang, at Jersey's own Artie Lang, mm -hmm. was w was wary of working with Chevy Chase after having heard many stories from friends and colleagues about Chase's nastiness. But in oh, his really? book, I've, I've never heard this. I've I've heard a few things. One or oh, two. interesting. Okay. <laughs> yeah. uh, but in his book, Too Fat to Fish. Lang recounted that he loved working with Chase and they became good friends. Lang also recounted that Chase warned him that MGM would force them to make the film PG-13 rated yeah. for release, even though it was written and filmed as an R-rated film, and told him to fight that move. Lang, Norm MacDonald, and the rest of the cast and crew did fight for the R, but the studio ultimately refused because they said that there was not a large audience for R-rated comedies at that point, as Lang sadly noted in his book, Dirty Work. Was in his book Dirty Work was Dirty Work was ultimately Dirty Work was ultimately moved to an earlier release date in part to stay clear of there's something about Mary, which oh. was which was not only an R-rated movie but became one of 1998's biggest blockbusters and revived the entire R-rated comedy genre for years to come. Yeah, yeah, this so. came out a month before uh, there's something about Mary, and then. So After great that, call, studio. Yep. <laughs> great call. Really By got your way, finger on the ball. Chevy Chase knew what he was talking about, too, because you look at that first uh, National Lampoon's Vacation, yeah. R-rated, yeah. and then they made European Vacation, PG-13. Right. And, and look at the difference between the comedy in those two movies. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's night and day. Yeah, yeah. Very true. That's very, very true. true. Okay, uh, so oh yeah, so let's talk about the movie. We didn't get into the premise. So, it's in the movie, if you haven't seen it, it's basically uh, Norm plays this guy Mitch, who's you know a bit of a loser. Um, you know, he's a bit of a slacker. He hops from job to job. His girl right. and um, during the we see him get fired from a, a pizza delivery job towards the beginning. Right, exactly. And uh, they have this ongoing thing I love, where it just shows him getting thrown out of places. Like, yeah. like so great, so cartoony. It's I love it. Yeah, yeah. You you do see him fly out of and yeah, like you said, it is literally like a cartoon. They have like I'm assuming a stuntman just like fly out like horizontally <laughs> out the door and like lands on the pavement. And uh, yeah, it, it it's a and it, and they do it multiple times, so it gets funnier and funnier. Out plate glass windows, and every time he like immediately just stands up and walks away because there's of course no consequences to this. Because <laughs> yeah, no, otherwise no, no, it wouldn't be as funny. on him. No, yeah. not a bruise, nothing. <laughs> right, and Mitch has a best friend Sam, played by uh, you know Jersey's own Artie Lang, mm -hmm. and uh, they also say Mitch uh, never knew his dad. So Sam's father, Pops, played by Jack Ward, and sort of became his father figure in that respect and so you know mitch and sam have known each other all their lives and as they get older and in their 30s they're kind of still aimlessly you know, without jobs and looking for mm -hmm. looking for some you know something to do um it's like he's been fired from like 14 jobs in three months i think which is yeah uh, that's honestly kind of impressive really i'm not even mad i'm impressed <laughs> yeah <laughs> his girlfriend throws his clothes out while uh Semi-Charmed Life plays in the background. <laughs> Is there a more 90s song than Semi-Charmed Life? I was I instantly so. transported. 
as yeah, soon as yeah, it's yeah. Up there. I, you know, I just heard the do 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 do, and yeah, I'm I'm back in 1998. <laughs> right, and um, yeah, so it's basically that. It's like the like the two of them just trying to get their lives together and trying to figure out what to do. And um, but throughout his whole life, uh, Mitch has always been good at getting revenge on people, like playing pranks and getting back at people who have wronged him. Yeah, like yeah, we see, we of... see them like as kids, and they they get revenge on their bully, uh, like a crossing guard who would like grab kids' asses. And, oh, this and... was yeah, that was a really funny scene, actually. Yeah, and and you see like Norm's character as a kid, he puts like crazy glue on his ass so that they can catch the guy in the act. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So they have a talent for creative revenge. Right. So then they're, they're, they're sort of, uh, it's Mitch and Sam at a bar talking to each other, trying to pick up a girl. They get into a bar fight. They also, uh, we should also mention this too. Uh, we have uh, Chris Farley as Jimmy, Chris Farley's final role. Cause he, you know, passed yeah, away. This, he passed this, away. This, ex- yeah. This was his last role. He passed away like six months before uh, the yeah. film came out. Yeah, he's and, uh, not included in the credits though. He's he's uncredited in the movie, but yeah, he he died about six months before the picture was released. Right, and, and he but he's in it a fair amount. He's in it a fair amount, and uh, he has it's it's almost kind of disturbing what he has. But like the tip of his nose got bit off by a uh, a, a Saigon uh, woman of uh, ill repute, yeah. and like just to see that it's it's like that's uh, ooh. It's really dark. that disturb you because the makeup job. I think I think they spent about five bucks. I mean, I mean, it's not really like the tip of his nose is off. It's like they built up around, around yeah. his nose to make the end of his nose look flat. I don't know. Yeah, kind of, kind of look, yeah, kind of look like a volcano or something. <laughs> yeah, this and, movie it's not has, the most convincing makeup job. But. This movie has the most uh, whores per minute used and it's all yes. it's not just whores it's whore prostitute and hooker mm-hmm. those three words with as much an old inflection as possible mm-hmm. it, it's ridiculous it's it's almost sex positive how often they're used <laughs> <laughs> and like they're like even norm gets a point of saying that you're going to be paid for this but there will be no sex and right. it's just it's a it's such a weird way of speaking, and this whole movie is full of that, mm-hmm. and I love it. Yeah, I was gonna say that too. He throws that word out a lot, Norm. I think yeah. they write in. He has he really has a thing for uh, uh, women of the evening. The yeah. hard H, I think it is. I think it's the way the word sounds when you say it. <laughs> I think so. Yeah. Um, but but Darren, you mentioned like they get they get they get into a bar fight early in the movie, and we see. Uh, uh, Mitch and Sam taking revenge on these fraternity guys later. Like they they call them up and they say like, "Hey, there are these two guys going around as fake cops. So if they come by your fraternity house, you know, beat them up because they're fake cops." And then of course they send some real cops to the fraternity house, and then they beat up the cops. And then then we just cut to them all getting savagely beaten by the police. <laughs> um, and <laughs> I, I, I did find it a little tough to buy that like he Norm McDonald's able to pull off a prank phone call because like how do you get a phone call from Norm McDonald and not recognize his voice? They lean <laughs> into it. They lean into it in such yeah. a great way. Yeah. When he calls and he talks to the frat people, he's he's Norm McDonald doing the Norm McDonald voice. Yeah. And they just supply him with all the information he needs. And he's like, uh-uh. And he 
gets off the phone when he calls the real cops he actually goes real cops yeah, yeah. He, refers to, yeah. he refers to them as real cops and I'm like, yeah. this is a movie that just doesn't really care that much no that's true bringing that's these coincidences together and giving you ridiculous scenes and i'm here for it um right. but so so you know we see that they had this flair for revenge um then uh, uh, Sam's dad, Jack Warden, has a heart attack, and they take him to the hospital. When he's in the hospital, he confesses that he is actually Mitch's father as well. Um, and and he's like, I can prove it. Here's a picture of me having sex with your mother. Yeah, <laughs> and you don't see the He took it out of a locket. Yes. He had yes. a picture of himself having sex with his mom in a locket. Yeah. <laughs> it's a close How to his heart. Do? Yeah, because <laughs> oh, you know man. that's an evening you want to remember. Uh, but he, he the made, confidence, yeah, <laughs> a picture of yourself. But uh, uh, pops—that's what they call him in the movie. He, he makes Mitch promise not to tell Sam that he's actually his father and therefore uh, Sam's brother. And uh, we meet Chevy Chase as Doctor Farthing, who says your dad needs a heart transplant. Um. And, you know, there's nothing we can do because he's not famous or a big sports star. Uh, <laughs> so, but I can move him up the list if you give me $50,000 because we find out that Dr. Farthing is a big gambler and he's he's in debt to, uh, like, loan sharks. So, but he's like, you know, if you, if you give me 50000 so I can pay off these loan sharks, then I can move your dad up to the, the top of the transplant list. Right. So, so yeah, so that's our premise, which I believe, isn't that the same premise as um, another SNL related movie, uh, Hot Rod with Andy, with Andy Samberg? Um, they were trying to do something health related in that. I don't remember what exactly it was right now, but yeah. yeah I, I think it was the same thing because uh, in Hot Rod, Andy Samberg's stepfather needed like money for a surgery. And I, yeah. I, I think it was the same amount, 50000 I think I think it's like you know if we're going to spend a whole movie having these people doing heinous things to other people, we need them to be doing it for a good reason so that we feel that they're still good people. Absolutely. I think that's the the rationale. Also, the same plot as Spider Man Two. So just think about it. <laughs> wow. Or sure. three, three, three. Sorry. Where, where Spider Man started a revenge business. Close, yeah. close. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, makes sense. Um, um, so yeah, so the guys. Oh, sorry. Yeah, go ahead. Well, yeah, no. So the guys are looking for ways to get the money. Um, they get a construction job, mm -hmm. and then you know they get immediately fired because they lied and they don't know anything about construction. Right. Um, they get they take part in some clinical tests, eating some test brownies. Right. And um, then they, you know, the, the doctors say, "Hey, there might be some side effects. You might, you know, sweating and you might hallucinate a bit." So of course, <laughs> it's them driving home. Um, and Sam is fine, but Mitch is like covered in hives. He's yeah. sweating. He starts to hallucinate that he's in hell. Uh, he's driving in the car with uh, Gary Coleman as he's yeah. reading the paper, and he sees Adam Sandler as Satan. Yes. So, uh, so this movie possibly inspired Little Nicky, um, where 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 Sandler played the son of Satan. So. I will say, I, I mean, I will say this. Um, Fred Wolf, who wrote this film, did write Little Nicky. Oh, God. Okay. <laughs> I'm just putting it out there. That's awful. 
if I had to guess, I'd say it's Gary Coleman's final film role, too. Uh, oh, okay. I wonder. That was the first yeah. time I remember being shocked by seeing Gary Coleman in the theater. Because I was like, I have not seen him, I think, since Different Strokes was on the air. I mean, he wasn't uh, really working in the industry by this point in his yeah. life, I think. So, yeah. Um, do you, don't you think it's, I know this off topic, but do you, you remember that movie Unbreakable? Sure. Do you, don't, you think Webster, don't you think Webster was like the Unbreakable version? You know how they were like the polar opposites, Bruce Willis and the other <laughs> one? Yes. Like, because like, Gary Coleman was so bitter and angry and hated uh-huh. being Arnold. And Webster just leaned into it and everybody loves him and he kept his money. Yeah. Gary <laughs> Coleman died. I just always thought they were like unbreakable. Uh, <laughs> I, I just checked. Uh, this actually was not Gary Coleman's last role. He didn't die until uh, 2010. That so doesn't really pre- preclude this being his last role, but you're he right. Had, it also, he has a credit after this, though. He's, yeah. he's actually in Dickie Roberts' former child star. Oh. Um, and, uh, yeah. Have you and, done uh, Dickie Roberts yet on this podcast? Uh, we have not. I mean, we're saving it. Oh, of course. You got to save that. I mean, <laughs> that. That's an anniversary show if there ever of was. Of course. Uh, <laughs> yeah, so, uh, so as, as we go on, the guys get jobs. At a movie theater, and uh, this is probably one of my favorite scenes in the film. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the movie theater is run by this dude named Hamilton, played by uh, the late great Don Rickles. Lin Manuel, Mer- no, okay. yeah, yeah. Who, who, <laughs> yeah, I, all right, I got that. Uh, and and you know, it, it's a big day for for the Mr. Hamilton, the movie theater manager, because he's like, you know, my the guys from corporate are coming to inspect the theater, so we had to make sure everything goes just right. And then he, because it's Don Rickles, he spends a lot of time insulting his employees. Uh, yeah, I mean, from what I've read on the IMDb, this they were actually considering Rodney Dangerfield for this role, but they went with Rickles because he's more known for being an insult comic. Yeah, I think that's a good call. I think that's a good call. And and uh, yeah, as soon as uh, Mr. Hamilton leaves, the other employees go, "Oh well, he's awful. I wish we, I wish there was a way we could take revenge on him. We would even pay somebody to take revenge on him for us." And Mitch and Sam go, "Hey," mm-hmm. and uh, so so they decide to sabotage him uh, by substituting the movie. Uh, it, Taking away the movie Men in Black and substituting the movie Men in Black who like to have sex with each other. Uh, I'd argue that's another one where the PG 13 paid off because whatever they were going to put on the screen was not going to be funny if it was R, but just the the hacky voiceover, great. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I love how so much of this is is like a Norm McDonald joke. The premise is just ridiculous. And it's like, oh, someone from corporate is coming. This yeah. is a big day for me. No, no explanation what that means. It doesn't no. matter. It's yeah. someone from corporate. 30 minutes or less pizza delivery gets them fired. No explanation for why. Yeah. It's just, it's so good. It's just all these like little, this is probably the most like reviewing an episode of SNL because each one of these little bits can be done separately. And yes. Independent of the story of the movie. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Uh, yeah, you, I mean, you can edit out most any random scene in this movie, and it wouldn't affect the movie too much. Not a bit. Plot-wise. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, I will admit that I really like the um, the Don Rickle scene where he was like berating uh, Sam and uh, Mitch because I think at one point uh, he calls Sam a baby gorilla. 
<laughs> and, then, and at one point he says, Baskin Robin called. They're down to five flavors. <laughs> but he, he bent down and set it into Artie Lang's belly. Yeah. <laughs> right. I mean, how I, how can you not love Don Rickles, honestly? Oh yeah, I, I think like Artie, I think Artie Lang even said in interviews, like, yeah, like during that scene, like it was really hard for me and Norm not to not to break and laugh. Cause like there's even like a few scenes yeah. where like Norm was literally genuinely laughing because he just couldn't keep it together. I know I know Rickles hosted SNL like back in the eighties at some point. We should we should go back and watch that episode sometime. I, I watched his monologue from it and it's spectacular because yeah, how could it not be? But <laughs> um, uh, so yeah, so after this goes so successfully and, and Hamilton gets fired and they get paid by all the movie theater employees, they decide Including to Kevin Farley. Oh yeah, that's yeah. right. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, Kevin Farley has like a bit part in there. Um, so they decide to officially start this revenge for hire business. And, uh, and, and, uh, around this point, we, we get trailer Howard into the mix too. Like Norm meets her at a bar right before the, the bar fight earlier. And she seems inexplicably attracted to him. She's just like, Hey, I like the cut of your jib, Norm McDonald. <laughs> I'm going to be throwing myself at you for no real reason. <laughs> other than I'm in a movie with you. I'm the girl. Therefore, that, that the was girl. the role. That was the role. I don't have a last name or any particular character traits. I'm, but I am required to be romantically or physically attracted to you. So that's what we're doing. Right. And, and uh, I, I also I looked it up. Like you mentioned the Don Rickles episode of SNL. I might really. I think we should watch it because, like, I'm looking at it now, and it's it's Don Rickles back in '84. Musical musical guest Billy Idol. Uh, well, I, I mean, how can you not love that combo? That. <laughs> That might yeah. be worth a watch. Yeah. What What did those two talk about during <laughs> the week? <laughs> I just record that. I'd, I'd be entertained yeah. by that. Um, White weddings, I guess. I don't know. Yeah. Um, so, like, but uh, Kathy runs uh, Trailer Howard's character. She runs into Mitch in the street, and she finds out he finds out that she's an accountant at a car dealership. Uh, we have David Keckner as her abusive boss. And uh, he's gearing up for a live commercial for his dealership. Again, I don't think live commercials for car dealerships are a thing. <laughs> I worked in a car dealership. I never heard talk about live commercial. I don't see what advantage that brings to your car dealership to have a commercial be live. But Mitch and Sam decide, hey, if we disrupt this live commercial, that'll be a great advertisement for our new revenge business because we have to earn this $50,000 inside of two weeks. Um, <laughs> exactly. So, so yeah. Yeah. yeah then uh, that's another one of my favorite scenes where they gather a bunch of a uh, w women of the night to, mm -hmm. to play a little prank on Mr. Uh, Mr. Dealership. I, car dealership I've never man. seen so many dead prostitutes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He, <laughs> like he, he come like Mitch steps up in the middle of the live commercial and he's like, Hey, Hey, that it doesn't look like there's much trunk room. And so David Keckner opens the trunk and there's, there's a woman playing dead in there. And, and Norm McDonald's like, I've never seen so many dead prostitutes. And each right. time they, they, they're opening the trunk or, or closing the trunk to hide the dead prostitute. Uh, Sam is hitting a, a key fob to open the trunk again. So, right you know, everywhere you look, there's a dead prostitute. <laughs> oh God! <laughs> and, hey, your and autobiography. 
Yeah. They, <laughs> they, they give they give out the number for the revenge business called Dirty Work, of course. Uh, and they, you know, they're like, hey, is somebody making your life miserable? Then get revenge and call Dirty Work. And here's the number, 555, whatever, whatever. <laughs> yeah. And, and uh, yeah, Kathy gets fired from the dealership. I didn't see that coming at all. Yeah. Repercussions. Who knew? Yeah. No. Um Though uh, we see we see them taking other jobs. Um, yeah, uh, well, there. Go ahead. I when I was gonna say there's a job where the um, where a, a small small person uh, mm -hmm. who works at the circus wants him to take revenge on this abusive uh, bearded lady. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Played by Rebecca Romaine. Yes. Um, which I, I I wonder how that happened. <laughs> <laughs> they're both friends with Conan O'Brien, maybe. <laughs> I don't know. Um, yeah, we we have Rebecca Romaine as the bearded lady who's very abusive to the little person at at the uh, at the carnival, and uh, they take revenge on her just by shaving off her beard. Or like, oh, now she's just an attractive lady. Damn it. Yeah, there's no possible way she can earn a living now. <laughs> <laughs> That'll show you. Spray paint over the word "bearded" on her trailer, so it just says "the lady." Yes. <laughs> 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 You're ruined. And her, her life is ruined, yeah, because there's no way that a woman who looks like Rebecca Romaine can right. possibly earn a living in 1998. Yeah. So many also, why couldn't she grow another beard? Literally. Just, <laughs> just wait. <laughs> this movie's full of holes. Oh, my God. And it's weird the things that they struggle to explain and the things that they're like, no, we're never going to back this up. We're just doing this. It's yeah. got to be a live commercial, or otherwise, why would they ever air it? Right. But everything yeah. else around it, no, who cares? Just do it. No, yeah, yeah. I, but I mean, it's it, that's so much Norm McDonald's philosophy of comedy. It's like, don't explain it; just, just fucking do it. You know? Yeah. <laughs> don't. Yeah. You know? Don't don't care yeah. about the plausibility. Um, yeah. Logic gets it gets in the way in the way of a good time. Yeah. They just they just. They send logic out to the back room and then beat it to death. <laughs> and uh, yeah, yeah. And then we we uh, get into another one of my favorite scenes where a man talks about how he lives next door to these uh, people that are, are constantly making noise and being loud, and uh -huh. like he just he wants them to stop. So uh, Mitch and Sam break into the house and hide fish everywhere. Yeah, because uh, you know the, the smell will be bad. But then the people come home. And turns out uh, they're drug dealers. They're drug dealers. They open a big suitcase full of cocaine, and they're like, "Oh, well, now, now we're gonna sell this cocaine because we're drug dealers." And then one of the the guys in the drug dealers like, "Hey, why does this house smell like fish?" And then it erupts into this huge yeah. argument, and they 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 shoot each other to death. Frankie, you, you had I'd, I'd like to step in and say Trumbull wasn't just like awkwardly explaining that. That's pretty much what they say. They're like, well, we're yeah. drug dealers. So let's, <laughs> yeah. let's deal these drugs here. <laughs> now it's what they're going to do. Yeah. I actually read an interesting piece of trivia on this scene. Uh huh. The cocaine used in the scene was Artie's. They didn't have the budget for <laughs> real cocaine, it was just from his own stash. That was just what was in his trailer. That day. <laughs> That's what he got paid to do the movie. 
<laughs> so that's why the budget was $13 million. <laughs> <laughs> It all makes sense. But, I mean, yeah, this, this I think, is one of the funniest, if not the funniest scene in the movie. Because we, we just see Mitch and Sam hiding in the next room. And we hear the drug dealers basically just narrating their fight. And they're like, oh, no, you're machine gunning me. Oh, no, now this guy has a machete. <laughs> and, yeah, and just now like you're look killing me with a chainsaw. Yeah. Literally saying you're killing me, but announcing it. So good. Yeah. <laughs> and just like the look on their faces, because like at first they're really happy that they that they're pulling one over on right. these guys, but then as they realize, oh, we've just we've just we just inadvertently committed like a, a big shootout. We're uh, murder. to murder. <laughs> yeah. Like the the smile slowly fades from their face, and mm -hmm. they're like, oh, this is. This is a lot worse than we thought. And then, and then when everyone's dead, they, they like kind of sheepishly come out of the room. We see them like walking there. We don't see any gore. There's no gore. We see some bullet holes in the wall, but we hear like a squishing, squishing, a squishing as they're on their footsteps. And then the neighbor comes in. He's like, "Hey, you guys did a really great job." <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, this is another thing where, like, you know, I can't quite turn off the logic part of my brain, but I'm like, you have to get $50,000 in, like, nine days or six days at this point of the movie. Um, you know what you should do? You should take that cocaine and sell that cocaine. Yes. <laughs> way to earn some money yeah. fast, I would imagine. <laughs> so, so we... They spend money on renting an office and furnishing <laughs> <Yeah>. it. <laughs> I, you're like, how much money do you spend with all these revenge schemes? Yeah. Can you save some of that for the $50,000? Yeah. It's insane because they explain where the money came from for renting the storefront. Yeah. And the 2000 from a sister. But that was just to establish that there was a sister for a joke later on. Yes. Oh, yes. That's all yes. that was for. And uh, they apparently raised like by at this point in the movie, I think they said something like four hundred dollars. Yeah, you're at four hundred dollars days away from fifty. They have six days years. left, and they've earned a total of four hundred dollars. Yeah, and they need fifty thousand. Yeah, they're like, let's go buy a sign. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> let's furnish this office. Let's. You got to spend money to make money, guys. I guess yeah. so. I mean, it's it's actually it's really impressive that they were able to set up this business inside of a week. Um, but yeah, yeah, the <laughs> permits alone, they would have been held up. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And and by the for way, months. we're periodically going back to the hospital for certain for scenes with pops, and we see Chevy Chase's character, the the doctor, and like when we next see him, he has a broken arm because like the loan sharks are coming after him. <laughs> Right. Uh, they yeah they broke his arm because they uh, I think they threw him out of a speeding car. He said yeah. And, yeah, that's what he says. And I like I like how at one point they they go back in to see Pops in the hospital. And now uh, the doctor has his foot in a cast. And like yeah. I think uh, Sam said, why is your what happened to your foot? And he's like, look, I don't understand. Like when a when a when a bookie blows one of your toes off, you still owe him the money. That doesn't seem fair. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Incredulous. <laughs> it's a good word for Chevy Chase, you know? Do, do you know what he bet? That uh, This little throwaway joke that after like 20 years, I finally heard it. Apparently, he was betting on the Jets, which is yes. insulting enough, and Mr. T, which they actually take a moment to unpack. Yeah, yeah. They're like, <laughs> you you bet against Rocky in Rocky 3? <laughs> 
You and I'm like, well, the first you know, fight. He, he lost mm. in the first Rocky. Yeah, it, it, <laughs> so, it was a 50 50 chance. Yeah. It's, yeah. You know, it's like, uh, I take those odds. <laughs> yeah. I mean, what are the odds? Um, um, oh, right. Yeah. So, um, you know, we didn't even introduce the villain of this thing yet. Uh, well, the, the movie barely has at this point. So, <laughs> that's true. All right. So, um, yeah. So, the villain in this film is uh, Travis Cole, who's like a real estate mogul. Played uh -huh. by uh, the great Christopher McDonald, uh, no relation, right. I believe. Of course, uh, you know we all know him as uh, Shooter McGavin and mm -hmm. uh, Happy Gilmore. And like his thing is, he's building this opera house because he loves opera, and he's like building this big opera house in town. Um, he always carries like a small Chihuahua dog with him, like you know, like like he's Doctor Evil or something. Mm -hmm. And um, yeah, and so he wants to make like a big parking lot for. The opera house, and that means he has to bulldoze this little old lady's house. So the little old lady calls Mitch and Sam to see if they can help him, and um, yeah, and they do. So they end up putting uh, popcorn in the engine of the bulldozer, which, which, which uh, is a, a thing that we see them do as kids at the beginning of the movie. They did that with a meter maid, um, so that's like one of their go-to's, right? Yeah. <laughs> but but it's funny to see like popcorn coming all out of every every part of a bulldozer. And like yeah. a, a ridiculous cartoon again. Mm -hmm. What gets them in trouble? The trail of kernels going back to their storefront. Right. <laughs> no, it's not the dead drug dealers. Where, where their fingerprints are literally all over that. House. No consequence at all for the mass murder that happened a little earlier. No, no, no. This there are severe consequences. Yeah. And no. also they are caught by their own. Do you know how much money, how much popcorn they needed to bring back to the store? Or look, it was only forty nine thousand dollars worth of popcorn, so yeah. it's fun. <laughs> yeah. it's, it's like Capone getting arrested for tax fraud, right? Yes. Right. <laughs> Not quite, um, but yes, kind of. <laughs> I also think it's funny that nobody suspected the new revenge business that had just opened up in town. Hey, who could be behind this? Could it be the guys that hijacked a live commercial last week advertising their revenge business? That's, no, that's too easy. Uh, so, so we see Mitch and Sam get thrown in, into prison, into jail. Uh, and and we find out that Sam has no idea of what supposedly happens in jail, and uh, Mitch has to discreetly explain it to him. <laughs> yeah, like, he never actually that. does explain it to him, though. Does, oh no, he whispers it in his ear. He whispers, doesn't he? yeah. He whispers, and then you see Sam by the look on his face doesn't even believe him. It's yeah, like no, he's incredulous. Like, no, no, it's the most acting I've ever seen Artie Lang do. <laughs> yeah. He's like, no, how could that happen? No, yeah. there's no such thing as prison rape. No, <laughs> that's crazy. What are you talking? That's crazy talk. <laughs> and I, I like that this is a guy in his mid 30s, and somehow this has just totally escaped him. He's just never heard of this happening before. Yeah. Um, oh. Uh, but yeah, and that's when we get the scene of, I guess, Norm being, uh, uh, what's 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 the word I'm looking for here? Sexually assaulted? Bingo. Um, <laughs> off screen. Off, off screen. screen. Yeah. Like, yeah, some big burly guys come by and they they take Norm away and and uh, yeah, it's left to our imagination 
what happened. Right. And you can't describe yeah. if people are listening to this, haven't seen the movie, you can't describe this without it seeming like very off color or weird or like, how is this funny? But it's so ridiculous. Yeah. The reaction to it is so ridiculous that it really is. It's it's like it was as if the challenge was trying to make a joke about this. Yeah, and Norm Macdonald's. And, it, uh, yeah, and again, like, this is a PG thirteen movie, so they can't go too far with this stuff. Obviously, right? Um, I think I think the furthest they go is when they show like the dogs humping and like yeah. um, the skunk getting banging the chihuahua. Yeah, but it, but even that, you know, very cartoonish. Yeah. All right, uh, so the guys get bailed out by Travis Cole because mm -hmm. I think at this point Travis Cole realizes he's, he's he kind of looks like the villain here, like you know, pushing a little old lady out of his home. So he, you know, just for optics, he mm -hmm. uh, he, he bailed them out and it, you know drops gave the charges, drops the charges, gives us a little press conference, and then he you know gives uh, Mitch and Sam uh, an offer to get this building condemned that he that he says he owns. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, getting to because he wants all the people in it out, like all the uh, right. criminals and prostitutes and drug dealers, all all the vermin out of this building, so we can come back, rebuild it for for the good, hardworking, blue collar people. Right, right. If he does that, then he can throw all the residents out legally, uh, because none of them want to leave. And and uh, Norm Macdonald says, "Well, we'll do it for fifty thousand dollars," because you know he's clever like that. Um, uh, so, so Sam and Mitch go there and then they say, they, they put flyers under everybody's door saying, Hey, we're going to tent the building for, for termites. We're going to fumigate the place. So you need to be out uh, on this day at this time. And then once everybody does, they, they, they plan to just trash the place. Right. Yeah. Uh, cherry bombs and toilets, they smash down doors, put fish again in the walls. Cause that's the signature move, I guess. Mm -hmm. Uh, yeah, and they spray paint the whole thing, and but they just kind of ruin the whole building. And then that's when Mitch finds out that uh, the girl he likes, uh, Kathy, his, his his her grandmother lives in that building. Right, right. And then he sees uh, his, his her grandmother entertaining a bunch of young ladies, and he's like, "Oh, these are the whores from the prostitution ring that she runs." <laughs> he just immediately jumps to that assumption. He sees like some attractive women and he's like, "Oh, obviously prostitutes." <laughs> he yeah, he's he, his mind just goes right there. Yeah. Um so so after they trash it, they discover that uh, uh the the building is not owned by uh Travis Cole, the evil Christopher McDonald guy. Uh it's actually owned by Kirkpatrick, who's their landlord. What? But they the, the, their office from? Yeah, and but the uh, villain told him it was his. It was his building. I know he. I I did not see this coming that he would not be trustworthy. But uh, yeah, Kathy's <laughs> grandmother actually runs a sewing business, and all those women were actually sewing stuff. And I I love when they confront Mc. Uh, I was just McDonald, but uh, I don't mm -hmm. remember what his Travis. He's he's you, more you than just McDonald's. the actor who plays a bad guy. But yeah. when they finally confront him, he like just. Confess. He narrates his involvement in this. Yeah. He's like, "Yo, I showed you a little bit about dirty work." Like yeah. names the movie, uh -huh. which is great. But what was the plan? What was what was was it just to make them you know damage a building because it's not his building? How does he benefit from this? Because, because all the all the residents are evicted still, so he can buy the property and 
put he up his opera house. He buys it dirt cheap and puts the opera house there. I see. So he buys it and he, he turns that into a parking lot for the right for the because he lost the other parking lot. Okay, that right. part was missing for me because I, well, I'm watching this and I'm like, well, isn't it? They just screwed out their own landlord, the guy who likes to punch people in the stomach, which is just a weird throwaway gag, but mm-hmm. it's perfect. You, uh, but yeah, it's, you missed literally the only thing they explained. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Good. He's Ridiculous. so used to not hearing explanations at this point that the explanation just flew over his head. Right. They, they, um, even when I, you hear one, you don't hear it. And I, I think also his his other motive was he wanted to take revenge on these guys because they'd already gotten him with the popcorn bulldozer gag. Um, so he was like, "I'm going to show them." Right. Yeah. No. I. I yeah. That. That's. So the, the people who are. Um, the destitute people who helped them break in to 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 get to Travis, uh, of the th- I've seen those three or at least two of those three actors. The three before. homeless men, yeah. The three homeless the, men. I've seen them in a lot of by, SNL stuff. Yeah, they're played by uh, Fred Wolf and uh, Jim Downey are two of the homeless men. And oh, they're okay. Both, they're both SNL writers. Right. Oh, okay, that's it. I always thought they have to be SN- They have to be tied in SNL somehow, probably as writers, because I don't. I don't remember seeing them on screen a lot, but they're always in these movies and these little parts that are just funny and beautiful little parts. That's yeah, Jim part. Downey, you probably know him from um, uh, what's a Sandler movie where uh, uh, Billy Madison. Yeah, he's he, he's the guy who says, and this has become a meme where it's like, you know, that is like the stupidest thing that is dumber having heard. Everyone's yeah. dumber for hearing it, and may yeah. God have mercy on your soul. And apparently, I, I read on his Wikipedia page earlier today. Uh, that that is like partially based on a thing that Downey would say when he was like rejecting jokes from like Chris Farley. <laughs> so oh, that's funny. Yeah. So yeah, Downey's like the, I think the longest tenured SNL writer. He's he's written for the show for like thirty years, and he's done a lot of their political stuff. Nice. Wow. Okay, so where are we in the plot? Mitch and Sam found out that they've been double crossed by mm-hmm. Travis. Yeah, and they, and they uh, find out that the homeless men. That they hired to help them in the scheme, they actually worked for Travis Cole, right? Um, and then I believe at the, and at this point, Mitch tells Kathy about what he did, and you know mm-hmm. she's mad at him. Um, also, uh, the two of them go see Pops, and that's where Pops tells Sam that, yeah, Mitch is your brother, mm-hmm. and Sam is mad at him because, like, you know. He's like, oh, it's pop- pops was the only thing I had that you did, and now that you're like taking away that away from me. So right. now we're we're at the low point of the movie where yeah. Mitch is very despondent. Um, Just to back up a minute, there was one bit where uh, Mitch is apologizing to Kathy, and he says like, "I'm really, really sorry." And you you totally hear Norm Macdonald's Canadian accent come out when he says "sorry." He goes like, "I'm really, really sorry," <laughs> which that kind of amused me because he doesn't usually sound. Yeah, you today. heard that. Yeah, you heard that too, right? I could have like I, I thought it. I was like, did he say sorry? Yeah, like, yeah. Ooh. I'm just like, what? Well, how do you not dub that? Because <laughs> he's playing know. an American dude. So yeah, one <laughs> one more thing they didn't explain. I I, I mean, this movie is just it's it's built on a house of lies. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Um, uh, so um. Yeah, yeah, so, so, we're at the- so Sam, he's pissed about the Pops thing when he finds out that they're actually brothers. And uh, this this kind of goes into what uh, Frank was saying before when they like they have an offhand mention of Sam's sister. And we find out 
<laughs> that that Mitch actually slept with Sam's sister at some point in twelfth uh, grade. I think they said. Yeah. Yeah. And and so he realizes it's like, oh, I actually slept with my biological half sister. <laughs> Whoopsie. And yeah, they don't unpack that. They just yeah. just a throwaway gag. Yeah, um, like you never you never see Sam's sister, but just they just talk about her. Yeah, she's just mentioned. Um, but yeah, uh, Mitch has nowhere to stay now because like his girlfriend threw him out at the beginning of the movie. Sam throws him out of their their place after he finds out about the, the father thing. So Sam or uh, Mitch is sleeping in his car and he's, and throughout the movie uh, he's, he's dictating notes to himself like Norm Macdonald used to do on weekend update, like note to self. And he realizes that uh, he actually has Cole admitting that he lied on tape. Right. right. Yeah. He got the whole explanation. Right. And it's literally him saying it. I lied about this. I was—he's <laughs> like laying it out in the most clear-cut way possible. You know, huh. he's doing everything except saying like, "I'm evil." <laughs> My name is Travis Cole, and I am an evil liar. Yeah. I can be—I can be found at this address, my home address. Um, but but so we're we're kind of gearing towards the climax. Uh, Mitch and Sam—they make up with each other. Um, Mitch is creeped out because he realizes he slept with his half sister, um, and uh, uh, Travis Cole is doing the bis- this big opera opening at his opera house, uh, doing a production of Don Giovanni, which, of course, you know everybody's yeah. favorite opera. Ken, I'm assuming that's your favorite opera, right? Yeah, that I mean, um, as you know, I'm a big opera guy, right? Yeah, and that's that or Black Swan. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, uh, you know, I'm a I'm a big fan of uh, Kill the Wabbit. That sure. One. <laughs> that one that's Elmer Fudd. That was a good one. I, I like I like Deflator Mouse because that's the the opera that they were watching right before Bruce Wayne's parents got killed. So. Ooh, wow, that's a deep. Yeah. Cut. I I'm, like I'm high, uh, on highbrow like that. Ooh, um, uh, uh, so we also see uh, Mitch and Sam going to the shelter where all the displaced uh, tenants of the building were, and like mm-hmm. Mitch comes clean. He apologizes to everybody. And he says, "Like I'll, I'll make it right. I, I have, I have this one big idea, this one big plan that'll, that'll, that'll get back at him and, and get your your house back." And then that's when we have uh, the big, the big uh, ending scene here. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, uh, and, and, and he yeah. says, "Like if this doesn't work, you can all slug me." So, and and that all sounds pretty good to the residents. So they're like, "Yeah, okay, we're behind this now." <laughs> oh, I can beat you up. <laughs> Done. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, so we see the guy sneaking into the opera house. Uh, they give the security guards the uh, those test brownies that they had in the clinical tests, uh-huh. um, and of course, all the security guards are all wigged out and like have are in you know ha- break out in a cold sweat, have rashes on their faces, and right. they hallucinate and they see uh, Gary Coleman in a uh, boxing match with Kenny Norton. <laughs> so random. So, yes. so it all ties together, really. I mean, <laughs> I wonder who was easier to get to agree to do the movie, Kenny Norton or Gary Coleman. <laughs> I mean, the world may never know. <laughs> uh, so we have Mitch bringing in all his friends to sabotage this opera uh, mm-hmm. performance. Uh, his his uh, prostitute butt pals, uh, <laughs> the homeless dudes, and all the evicted tenants. They dress up mm-hmm. as ticket takers and ushers. Uh, yeah. Mitch gives an uh, an a uh, one of the brownies, the tainted brownies to the opera singer. 
and like uh, you know this, everything's in place and mm -hmm. we get a and we get a cameo from someone uh, the mayor of the city who's open who be, opens up the show we we get John Goodman coming in here out of nowhere yeah. totally random John Goodman cameo and it's just yeah you know he just shot this in an afternoon i guess i guess norm's buddies with him either from him hosting SNL so many times or when he was writing for Roseanne or maybe both i don't know yeah, it was so weird because like this role doesn't really require somebody like him at all. Like he does, you could have gotten anybody to do this. That's true. That's true. There's nothing particularly John Goodman like about the role. It's just no. John Goodman there for. It was like, like just to say we had John Goodman in it. Yeah, but he's not credited in the movie. So no, I also I could be wrong. Was was one of the was the Saigon hooker Lucy Liu? I. No, I don't think, I don't so. think so. No, I think no. I think you're just really right. Then, then I'm wrong. Yeah, no. yeah, you're just. Yeah, you're just I, I guess. All yeah. right. No, that's okay. Just own it. Looks looks like I'm not getting on SNL either. Uh, <laughs> cancel. <laughs> um, right. Step aside, so, Shane Gillis. Yeah. So they even they even have uh, pops out of the hospital, and they have him taking over the role of Don Giovanni. And he's like coming on to the uh, the fat lady in the opera, which is what they call her. I don't think her character ever has a name. They just literally call her fat lady. Yeah, it's like, and you know, of course, pops like a, you know, you know, creepy old man. He's like, hey, come over yeah. here, sweetheart. I'll buy you a steak. Yeah, yeah, he's he's super horny, and uh, <laughs> and, and the audience is horrified. Except there's one guy who's like, oh, this is a brilliant reinterpretation of Don Giovanni. He, He's just loving everything they do. Right. And uh, we also see uh, Jimmy is with them, uh, Chris Farley's character. He releases uh, two skunks into the into the crowd. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, his, his reasoning was that because he was missing part of his nose, he can't smell as good. Didn't he say something like that? And that's why he was all right with the skunks? He probably did, yeah. But it's like the tip of his nose. It shouldn't yeah. affect his, his yeah. sense of smell at all. But uh, yeah, He still has his nostrils. Yeah. <laughs> his nostrils are totally intact. And again, yeah, I, don't, so I don't think something happening to your nostrils suddenly affects your sense of smell. Yeah. I mean, I'm no nose doctor, but... No. Uh, um, yeah, so... Uh, so the the opera is you know pretty much ruined. Everybody runs out screaming in horror at two skunks and a horny old man on stage. Right, and, and then we have uh, Mitch confronting Travis Cole, saying that like um, you know basically saying look if you don't give us the fifty thousand you owe us, we're gonna release the tape because I recorded it all on this recorder. Mm -hmm. So Cole writes him a check. For right. the 50, 50 grand. He signed the paper giving ownership uh, back to Kirkpatrick of the, of the building that they sabotaged before. Right, because he happened to have that on him. Right. And, uh, he had all the then, relevant legal documents drawn up, as you do. As you do. And then um, then he turns to the doctor, Chevy Chase, Dr. Farthing, who happens to just be there in a tuxedo, and he gives him the check. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I was like, what is he doing here? <laughs> and and they they caution him, Doctor Farthing, like don't look. You got to go straight to your bookie to pay this off. Don't like go spend it. Don't go bet it elsewhere. And he's and like, then, oh, okay. Um, no, Chevy chases this great joke. He's like, how much you want to bet? I blow this before. 
which is such a great degenerate gambler joke that that is that is and i'm sure i'm sure norman was writing you from life <laughs> from there <laughs> uh, uh we we have like sort of a, a a last minute complication where where travis cole destroys the tape um and we think oh no that you know there there's all the evidence um Travis Cole is going to win after all, but then, but then, uh, Mitch just says, "Hey, Kathy, she has a copy. She's going to play that right now." And then he's gone. It's a complication that lasts like literally thirty seconds. Yeah, it's it's not like life or death. <laughs> yeah. yeah, well, like he he said they're going to play it over the PA right now. Right, and then he realizes that he's totally lost. But then they never even play it. You're waiting for it to hear it in the background. Uh huh. And you don't even hear it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like it's it's said like they play the tape, but it's like note to self: uh, sex with a blow up doll isn't as good as advertised, or something <laughs> like that. <laughs> yeah. it, it's like no, fast forward it, fast forward it. Yeah, no, no, it's after that. It's after that. Um, so you know, but so all, all Cole's lies are exposed. He's arrested for fraud. All the the residents they get their building back, and uh, you know it works out for everybody. Yeah, uh, Jimmy gets a new nose. He mm -hmm. gets married. He gets married to the woman that bit it off in the first place. Sure. You know, well, you know, love springs eternal. He's he's a forgiving sort. Yeah. Yeah, but she bites it off off screen. You hear him screaming from the car. Right. And he yeah. screams, "You bit my nose off again." Well, you know, that's probably the sequel hook there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think I did read somewhere that, like, before he died, Norm was thinking about writing a sequel to this. And he commented on it in, like, 2008. I have it uh, here here somewhere. Yeah, he, he uh, when he was asked about a sequel in, in 20, uh, excuse me, 2018, uh, McDonald stated it was an R-rated movie, so we made it that way, and then they made it PG-13. So half the movie had to be cut. So it's hard for me to see it objectively. There might be another one coming now, I guess. McDonald did not elaborate further regarding the potential sequel. So mm, interesting. Yeah, I right. don't know if it was ever a strong possibility, but but hey, that's that's dirty work. I mean, what what do we yeah. think of this overall? I mean I, I was so so on the movie overall, but it definitely has some amusing bits in it. Yeah. I mean I thought one of the amusing parts was uh the way it ends because as mm -hmm. we said Pop Pop gets his new heart. Apparently he he hooks up with uh Kathy's grandmother. Yeah. And um, we end with Kathy and Mitch in a car driving away saying, yeah, I got the girl. Me and uh, Sam got new jobs. And uh, that doctor, Dr. Farthing, uh, he got beat to death by the bookies. Yeah. That's it. Bye. <laughs> he overcame his gambling habit, but he they beat him to death anyway. And that's literally like the last line of the movie, the, like the last bit of narration. It's like, um, that's it. Bye. Bye-bye. Yeah, just one last dark note to end you with. Um, uh, yeah, that was cute. Uh. So I, I I thought like for me the magic of Norm McDonald is small doses, which yeah. is why he was so perfect for Weekend Update. Um, I would agree. So, with that. Yeah, yeah. It it was it was. Uh, I mean, I I love dumb comedies, and this was definitely a dumb comedy. But I I don't know how much I rewatch. Like if it's on, you know, maybe I'll catch it in bits and pieces. But yeah. It's it's totally a movie you can just watch five minutes of, and it's entertaining in those five minutes. 
but you don't have to watch the whole thing. And, right. and it's such a it's such an episodic movie. It, it works perfectly like that. Uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, I th I thought the the length was good. It was, this is a nice short movie. It's like it's barely an hour and a half. It's like eighty two minutes. Mm -hmm. Um, it's in and out. Uh, the jokes are quick and fast. It doesn't linger too long. Um, it's one of these movies. It's like a fun little watch. Um, don't look. Don't look to this movie for logic or for things to really make too much sense because that, like I said, that gets in the way of a good time. And um, yeah, I, I, know, I, I think it still holds up. I think it's. I think it's a little nice, little fun, little time here. Yeah. I'll, I'll, this is um. This is my favorite Norm McDon McDonald story ever, and it's it's tied into this movie. All right, go for um, it. He already told this story on Howard. Mm -hmm. And already said that when the movie came out, and the reviews came out, you know, scathing reviews. And one of the reviews said that Artie Lang had all the charm of a date rapist. That that actually was in the Star Ledger, Artie Lang's hometown paper. Oh, oh that's right. Okay. Yeah. So it says that <laughs> he had all the charm of a date rapist. Right. Artie Lang's mom is understandably upset with the hometown paper review right. of her son. So Norm and Artie were laughing about it. Artie told Norm and they were cracking up about it. And then the night of the premiere, Artie brought his mom uh -huh. and Norm pulled her aside and said, uh, don't be upset, Mrs. Lang. Look at it this way. A date rapist has to be way more charming than a regular one. He's got to be able to get a date. <laughs> I, Howard was crying laughing when he told that story, and so was I. Like, I think I had to pull over because I was laughing so hard. Uh, that's, that's great because, I mean, you know, Nor, he put the thought into it. <laughs> yeah. It's a fair point. It's a fair point. <laughs> it's a very fair point. And I wonder if, I mean, it probably didn't make her feel much better, but at least he tried, right? Yeah, it's much more insulting to say you're a regular rapist. Yeah. <laughs> you know, a, a date rapist, he, he at least seems normal at first. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, I mean, that's that, that that's Norm MacDonald in a nutshell. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh yeah, and I mean, I, I guess that's our episode, guys. Yeah, I think, uh, I don't know. I mean, like, as closing thoughts on uh, Norm or this movie as a, as a whole, any, like, uh, any, any, anybody want to wrap this up or put some thoughts? I mean, I, I think it's an entertaining uh, enough movie. If, if you're a fan of Norm MacDonald and or Artie Lang, I think you'll enjoy this movie. I would say it exceeded my expectations. Um, you know, he, he Norm MacDonald... He, he's a tough guy to be a lead of a film and it's a tough, uh, it's tough to have his humor translate all the time, you know, cause he can be a bit of an acquired taste, but you know, I, I think this packaged him pretty well. Uh, yeah, I'd agree. Like, um, it seemed like for a while they were trying to make Norm and like, it's like I said before, they're trying to make him to like a leading man, but they didn't know, exactly what to do with him like i remember for a yeah. while he had he had his, his own show on fox for a while with uh laurie metcalf and you yeah. know he's had shows on comedy central and he was just like a but he was just like a guy who was never going to be the leading man just because he, he, just, he had a lot of different quickly canceled shows 
Yes. I, I never watched that Norm show, but a comic sent me a one minute clip, a scene uh-huh. from it. That was so funny. And I cannot believe that it aired on network television. Uh-huh. Um, I'll set it up quickly. I won't do it justice, but I guess in the show, he is a gambling addict. He's, uh-huh. he's like a recovering gambling addict or something. So the scene, and again, network television, and um, he walks into what he believes is a Gamblers Anonymous meeting. Okay. And he gets up to speak. He, he walks in mid-meeting, so he's missing the meeting, and he gets up and says, listen, I used to think I was better than you guys because I didn't think I really had a problem. And then he told some personal story of losing money that affected his family. And then he was like, now I realize that I'm just like you and I'm no better than you. And they all politely clap. And then the next guy gets up to talk about how much he loves having sex with children. (laughs) And then they pan over to the sign and it's like, pedophiles anonymous <laughs> and norm realizes that he's in the wrong meeting uh-huh. and is disgusted and just gets up and was like well i i was way off base you know like i i i want you people to know i am better than you and, and shame on all of you <laughs> i but i i'll send you guys the clip but i could not believe that that was on network television wow god, god damn it yeah yeah i I, I'm surprised that was on network TV. Holy hell! I, I'm yeah, I'm impressed that he got that uh, on the air. That's that's something else. I mean, I think I think probably the best way to enjoy Norm Macdonald. I mean, you can you can watch some of his great clips from SNL, and there's you know those those are all over YouTube and stuff, particularly this last week. Uh, but I, I think probably his his best form is as a stand up and as a talk show guest. I think that those are some of his funniest moments there. Would would you guys agree with that? Yes. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, like I've been, I watched the uh, the clip that's actually that uh, Conan sort of re re released. Uh, you know, mm-hmm. uh, that's been making around the one with him and uh, Courtney Thorne Smith. Yeah, where, where I remember asked, seeing that, and I didn't watch Conan regularly. I just happened to be watching that night, flipping through the channels. Yeah, and I saw that, and my friends and I have been talking about that for thirty years. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. Courtney Cor- Thorne Smith. She she talks about how she's just left Melrose Place and she's doing a a movie with Carrot Top and Norm Macdonald, who is the the first guest and he was still on the couch. He he just starts laying into her. He's like, "Hey, I I've got a title for that movie: Career Suicide, Box Office Poison, Box Office Poison." And he's just and he's just merciless. <laughs> and then. You know the the killer thing is is when she says, "Oh yeah, the mo- the movie's titled Chairman of the Board," and he's and and Conan literally says, "Oh well, hey, do something with that, Norm." And then a second later, Norm just says, "Oh, they should probably spell it B O R E D," <laughs> and every everyone loses it, including Courtney Thorne Smith. It's just yeah, uh, it's just terrific. Yeah, uh, yeah, it's a, it's a shame that he's gone, but like he, yeah, the, the things, the the work he left behind will, I think, will live on and and in our in our hearts and in our spirits. Yes, yes, yes. yes. Namaste. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, you know, it, it's a shame because he was he was just like a unique comic voice, and it's just it 
stinks that he's not here anymore. But yeah, we can treasure the stuff we have left with him. So yeah, I mean, I, I mean, I almost can't wait to see what uh, SNL is going to do when uh, when they go back on the air on, on October second. Like, I yeah, they, I watched like last night they reran the Dave Chappelle episode from this uh, past November, and they they did have a bumper card uh, with just you know Norm Macdonald. Um, you know, I, I was hoping that they would have rerun like when he came back to host. Um, that would have been fun, but uh, you know, maybe next week or something. But, yeah. Okay. Oh yeah, because that, that's another thing. When he hosted, it was like a year after he got fired, and he mm-hmm. addressed it immediately in his monologue. Yeah. Whereas, like, oh yeah, they fired me because they said I wasn't funny. But now apparently I'm funny enough to host the show. Yeah. So either I learned how to get funny inside of the last year, or the show has gotten so unfunny. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, again, he was just he was just fearless when it when it came to comedy, and really you got to admire that. I think. Yeah. Um, okay. And uh, yeah, that's our episode, guys. Uh, thanks so much for listening, as always. Uh, Ken, thank you so much for being on the on the podcast again. Is there anything? Uh, you'd like to plug, promote, uh, floor is yours. Um, yeah, no, thanks for having me. Go down, go on YouTube and just go down to Norm McDonald wormhole if you haven't yet. Yeah. And you can find me. Uh, I have a podcast called I Love Rock and Roll. If, you, if, you're, if you're a music fan, we, we get some pretty cool guests. Yeah, you just and, recently had uh, John Fugel saying, or, or no, no, uh, Richard Marks on there. We had Richard Marks and Daisy Fuentes. We just mm-hmm. had uh, Stephen Perkins from Jane's Addiction and David Bryan from Bon Jovi. We've got some big guests coming up. We cover some wild stories with comics and musicians. So I Love Rock and Roll. You can find it anywhere. That's great. Yeah, so I Love Rock and Roll. Check that out. Um, I, I should mention I've also uh, guest starred on a couple other podcasts recently. I was on just recently on the Citizen Kane minute that my friend uh, Rob Kelly does where he goes through the movie Citizen Kane uh, five minutes at a time. I'm on, I think it's episode 17, and I talk about my love of that movie and also an old uh, Saturday Night Live sketch where uh, they parody Citizen Kane, uh, Citizen Kane 2, written by the great uh, Michael O'Donohue. And uh, you can also hear me on uh, the Goots cast. Uh, Ray, our, our friend uh, Ray Goots, uh, he's covering all the Spider-Man movies up to uh, uh, No Way Home. And we're co- he and I have watched the first two TV movies from the 1970s with Spider-Man. And they are not good, you guys. <laughs> you don't so, say. So check those out. Um, All right. Darren, what about you? Got anything cool coming up? um, Not right now, but as always, you can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Darren Credible. That's D-A-R-I-N Credible. And you can follow me on uh, Twitter at Trumbull Comic, T-R-U-M-B-U-L-L, and the word comic. Ken, where can folks uh, find you? Um, uh, Ken Krantz Comic on Twitter and Instagram. If you want to follow the podcast, it's called uh, the the Twitter is Rock and Roll Pod with the and spelled out. And uh, we should say that your last name is K R A N T Z. Yes. So, and you can also follow the uh, show's page at at SNL Nerd Show. And uh, please, even if you've already followed it, uh, go back and double check and make sure you followed it. When we had our little Twitter kerfluffle recently, we lost 
all our followers. So we're, we're building that back up gradually. And uh, so, yeah, please check. Even if you follow before, go back and and follow SNL Nerd Show on Twitter. All right. All right, guys. And, uh, thanks for having me. Thanks, thanks a lot, Ken. We appreciate it. And uh, thanks uh, to Super Producer Frank Ablawi for sitting in as well. Yeah, and uh, yeah, so we'll we'll get live, guys. Uh, please tune in for the next episode. Uh, but until then, nerds, nerds out. out. This has been a non-productive media presentation. Executive producer Frank Hablawi. This program and many others like it on the non-productive network is distributed under a Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial No Derivatives License. Please share it, but ask before trying to change it or sell it. For more information, visit non-productive.com. Thank <laughs> you.